What it is, RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RadioJustice.org. In the real day-to-day happenings of urban living locally and worldwide. For you, while staying safe at home, are masked on the bus, train, plane, or social distancing everywhere. Who are your political party convention delegates? How do you vote for them? And who is running for LA City Controller in 2022? Today on Conversation Piece, Delegate Shannon Ziggy Theus tells us about the life of a California Assembly District Delegate and how to find yours. But first, meet 2022 LA City Controller candidate, Madeline Cortez Lay, South LA local, mother and data techie, who wants more transparency in the controller's office here in the City of Angels. Welcome to Conversation Peace. When the lightning strikes and the thunder crashes, I'll be somewhere laughing. Y'all too busy timing while I rained all on your cabin. I change you from the mainline and detain your puppet masters. Ask me why the flow so dope, that's just the angels flexing. They showing off their black star when the lane that ain't no Saxons. I'ma name all of my lamest tracks, still be the flamest rapping. Fabbing high for 51 blaze lasers through your classics. I'm Ellison and Baldwin, you say mine is the passion. So who you think the people gon' believe when it don't come crashing? Cause money don't be nada when your prodigal last season and the U.S. Treasurer gets trust and bound and charged with treason. If you don't lie to turn that goddamn metal into AU, you'll be waiting in line asking the government to pay you. They'll privatize and slave you. I bust one time and save you. Now step into my mental wonderland, man. What say you? Hey, yo, Soul Messiah, let's switch up the vibe a little bit. Madeline okay. Cortez Lay, welcome to Conversation Peace. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. <laughs> so happy to be here. Super excited. You're my first uh, little interview here. <laughs> Oh my goodness, the first interview for your campaign trail? Uh, yes, at least with video. Uh, so I might be a little bit nervous, but I'm here. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Because with some other radio justice colleagues, Knock LA, are, they're doing an interview with you also, a written interview. Yes. Correct. Right, right. Well, well, Conversation Peace family, l- l- let me catch you up to where we are right now, <laughs> is that yeah. we have Madeline Cortez Lay who is running for the Los Angeles City Controller Office. How are you even deciding to do this? She's 26 years old, a single mother. How did, how did you get interested at that level of, of politics that you want to run for such a huge office? Yeah, um, well, you can definitely say I've um, experienced a lot uh, growing up in SoCal and, you know, being a single mom, I was I think technically a teen mom as well. And so, you know, I made my way through college studying politics and I actually went into the tech industry. Um, and I think being in the tech industry and being from L.A. and having even lived a couple of years in the Bay Area just kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the inequities and inefficiencies of government. Um, And it kind of, you know, especially after what 2020 had in store for us, uh, it found a way to bring me back. And, you know, of course, I've, you know, I've been back in my hometown of Los Angeles, but um, I'm back and ready to serve in a different type of way that doesn't just serve myself and my family personally, you know, I can chase the bag all I want, but, you know, it's, it's not fair if, you know, somebody else doesn't have that opportunity too. So, you know, I'm trying to bring a lot of equity 
um, you know, and fulfillment for, especially for a lot of South LA neighborhoods that are uh, predominantly underserved right now. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up here. But tell us a little bit about you. You're, we know that you're from California, but give us a little bit about your background. South LA, where did you go to high school, college? What are your interests and why are you qualified for this position? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so I was actually uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, mostly raised in Los Angeles. Um, my, I'm probably a third generation Angelino out here in South LA. Um, you know, my grandpa, you know, was fortunate enough to like own a gas station. He raised a bunch of kids. And so I was primarily raised by my grandparents. Um, I'm the daughter of, uh, you know, of course, a union teacher. She, you know, I grew up basically attending kindergarten class with her when she couldn't afford childcare in LAUSD itself. So I used to sneak up in the background and just eavesdrop in all <laughs> the classrooms and everything. And um, my dad, he, he worked really hard. They both worked really hard to both go to college since they had me so young um, and work. So I come from a working class family. Um, and, you know, once they were able to, you know, kind of conjure up a little bit more money, um, you know, we moved out of Los Angeles because LA has never been affordable and never, <laughs> never has been. And so, you know, we moved around the SoCal area. And so that really opened up my eyes to all the, the differences of where I grew up, all different neighborhoods. Um, I myself am mixed race too. Um, I'm primarily both Mexican and Vietnamese. Um, so growing up in, you know, a multicultural family um, is, it cannot be challenged by anything else. It's a completely different and unique experience. Um, you know, when it comes to like, you know, food, religion, you're like constantly thinking about all these bigger concepts, even as a kid. Um, and so it, it kind of just gave a different eye on society. But with that said, uh, that's what kind of pushed me to work in politics. So not only like my cultural background, um, but also the fact that I kind of lived through, you know, the 08 crash as a teenager, I believe. Um, and so seeing that, you know, having my family finally, you know, get their dream home and we have this dream neighborhood and to just lo completely lose it in less than a year was shocking, right? And it's not just me alone. There's tons of other people who experienced that. Um, I think other people were more motivated by um, some of the protests uh, on Wall Street and stuff. So, um, you know, it's not like we, you know, we lived through 9-11 and that, you know, we're naturally going to be more political, <laughs> I think, as a generation. Um, and so with that said, I studied politics, politics at Cal Poly Pomona locally. So I believe in uh, public education. So mostly publicly raised. Um, I actually went to high school in Diamond Bar, so not in Los Angeles. So I went to Cal Poly Pomona, studied politics, I was really engaged. Um, I used to work on uh, with this org called um, Prison Education Project. And so what they did was they worked towards reducing recidivism. So, you know, trying to get people out of, you know, prison for good, essentially, through education means. And so that just got really, got me really interested into social and racial justice. And from there, unfortunately, because I was a single mom, that, you know, my circumstances were different. I couldn't just pick any job I wanted. Um, I had to, you know, actually go towards a high paying job. So originally, I was actually an unpaid intern at uh, Controller Ron Galperin's office for a very brief period of time. 
because it's really expensive <laughs> to work there uh, unpaid. And then as a single mom, I had to pay for childcare too. So I worked two jobs, one to pay for my <laughs> unpaid internship. Um, and then, um, you know, I realized I just couldn't sustain it anymore. Uh, and so that's when I switched over to the technology industry. And so kind of going into qualifications, um, I spent the last several years helping build um, startup companies, technology companies, both in the hospitality, um, so you can think hotel, restaurants, um, as well as the data analytics space. And so with that said, like I've worked with, you know, the most update technology uh, that the world could offer. I worked in the Bay Area, you know, Silicon Valley, which is just full of innovation and also inequity. And so um, how can I use my knowledge to help the city, help the city grow? Um, because during my time there, um, a lot of technology was outdated and we were being congratulated to do the bare minimum. The level of technology for the political sector is a lot lower than the private sector, which is always, you know, on the, you know, the cup, the cusp of innovation and growing and funding new technologies. And so how can I find a middle ground for that office so we can stay on top of everything. And you interned there. So when you were interning there, did you ever have the idea that one day I am going to be the LA city controller? I'm going to run to run for this office? Absolutely not. I thought, I mean, I was definitely upset enough uh, working there. I think work, you know, being at City Hall and, you know, seeing the day to day, um, it can be, you know, especially when you come in as kind of like young, naive and like really ambitious, it, you can get a little bit jaded because you realize a lot of people there are completely burnt out, right? They probably came in with all that ambition too, but they're, they're tired, you know, they're commuting far, they're not getting paid very well, a lot of at least the, the actual workers in City Hall. And it's, it's really hard to get a job unless you know somebody or related with somebody, right? There's like rampant nepotism. And so, um, I think that was quite a negative experience that actually like, pushed me away a little bit, but, you know, I was hoping to come back in some sort of way to help things out, um, but I did not, definitely did not think as an elected official, I don't know, it's, it's against my, I think my natural personality <laughs> to want to run for office, um, but, you know, very few people, um, I think, have the ambition and, you know, the strength to run, and so, you know, just gonna, just gonna try it out. <laughs> Now, the, the current L.A. City um, auditor, Ron Galperin, is he, are you running against him? Who are, your, who are you running against? Yeah, so Ron Galperin has actually reached his term limit. Um, and kind of funnily enough, he ran you know, unopposed, uh, essentially, um, last term. And so, which, I, you know, I don't think any politician should be running unopposed. Um, and then probably for the first time ever, you're having uh, four total candidates for the 2020. 2022 race. Um, so I think Galperin is going to be seeking another office um, since he's, he will be termed out. Um, and then currently, I have a couple of opponents. Um, one of them is Koretz, who is a city, city council member who has been elected to multiple positions throughout local and state office. Um, so he's going to be running. And um, additionally, we have David Vahedi, who has run against Koretz beforehand, too. I think they actually ran for the same city council seat. So maybe there's some old blood there. I don't know <laughs> what's going on over there, but, you know, to, they're going to duke it out again. Um, and then uh, additionally, I have uh, Kenneth Mejia, who has run, um, I think, a couple of times beforehand, too. It, you know, he's originally a Green Party uh, candidate, 
which I think everybody else is Dem. Um, but this is, you know, I want to clarify that this is actually a nonpartisan seat. So it literally does not matter what party we come from for this position, because, you know, we're supposed to be the watchdog uh, of Los Angeles, you know, city finances. Now tell us, right. So the, the watchdog of LA city finances, tell us what does the LA city controller do? What does that office do? Okay, try really hard to pay attention because I'm telling, you know, anybody who's watching this video, because you've probably never heard of the city controller beforehand, you may not even <laughs> retain this information, but um, it is kind of a very quiet office. Um, the city controller is actually one of the top three positions for the city alongside the city attorney and the mayor. Very surprisingly, because, you know, like beforehand, nobody's heard of the city controller. Um, and so what they do is, you know, they're the chief auditor of the city you know, departments, so they can audit essentially any single department. Um, they also have an executive office that's uh, able to make recommendations um, for, you know, budget allocation and things like that. So it's a very, very quiet, um, but also very powerful office. And that's kind of why I'm looking to run for this position specifically is to kind of exercise that power a little bit more and be a little bit more louder in terms of the office that's been normally kept quiet. So, you know, actually, you know, making, you know, constant press releases and allying with the public, doing public engagement, um, also doing performance tracking, which I don't think we do a good job of right now. So for instance, if I make a recommendation, you know, how, you know, am I going to follow up on what recommendations I made and where the progress is? Uh, I don't think we have a good indicator of that right now. We were talking during the, the pre-interview that the current city controller, Ron Galperin, had maybe a couple of years ago found $4 billion in a special fund that was just sitting, sitting there. How, how, did, how did that even happen? And how do you avoid that happening for that amount of money to just be sitting unattended? Right. And it should be, you know, it's, it's terrible to hear because, you know, we're constantly raising taxes, you know, for funding purposes. And here we are uh, finding four, you know, four billion dollars essentially in over, I believe it was like 500, 600 um, special funds. And so to find that amount is, you know, truly an achievement of his office, but at the same time, like what could we have done to prevent that? And so part of my platform is uh, modernizing City Hall a lot. And so I know there is a bit of transition that they're working on, but for instance, it's so easy, I mean, not so easy, but you know, if we can build a technology th team that can actually help um, manage all these numbers and, you know, bring in the auditor expertise, that way we can actually create like these real time alerts, like when we're approaching, uh, when we're not spending fast enough or if we're spending too much, like we need to be notified immediately. Um, and I think that's where technology can come into play. Um, and I do want to clarify, like, as I'm attempting to modernize City Hall, I'm not trying to replace any of the current auditors, but I would like to repurpose those auditors to, you know, to be able to look into other departments um, that we would just have more power and resources overall. Now, what is your view on public banking or for, to, for, for, for moving um, city funds from commercial banks to creating a public bank? Yeah, and uh, we definitely need it because, you know, a lot of private banks just don't see the incentive to serve a lot of people, right? They have no commitment to serve the American public equally at all. Um, and this is a conversation that, I, you know, I 
that really struck me hard with um, a former CD8 candidate, Denise Woods, and we were talking about it because um, in South LA specifically too, there is basically, you know, I think the term that's kind of trending right now is desert when there's just a lack of anything. So there's kind of a bank desert going on in South LA. Like you can draw an actual perimeter where there's not a single bank that's serving the public. Um, and she pointed out that, you know, the only bank, private bank, you know, uh, or, you know, the only bank, Bank of America was there and was shut down. And, um, and to other people, you know, I was speaking to somebody else and letting them know about this. And they were like, in America, like in America, there's not a single bank in the community. Um, and if, if you if you look at the data, too, it was like, I think one out of five neighborhoods in Los Angeles just actually didn't have access to a bank. And I, I think that is where I can come in and support public banks to properly serve the neighborhood. Um, and, it, it, you know, the, the thing is, too, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, there's online banking and stuff like that. Um, I think you don't realize in lower income neighborhoods, a lot of people just they can't even trust banks. I mean, there's a lot of historical ties to that. But, you know, for instance, they're cashing their checks and they could be spending up to, you know, maybe $1,000 a year just for fees to cash their checks. Or if you have some of the older generations, um, you know, they're, you know, they're cashing Social Security, too. Um, because they don't have, you know, access to a bank and that, you know, social security is not paying out that much. Um, so we're really hurting our neighborhoods by not having public banks. You are a single mother. We're in the pandemic. Tell me, I, you know, I, I know, I know we're switching gears right here, but I just, I want to, I want our, our audience to know a little bit more about you personally. How is teaching at home going? with your child and what grade is your child in? It is going, he's in, <laughs> he's in second grade. Um, I think right now it's best that we don't hold ourselves to be perfectionists right now. Um, you know, obviously too, I'm personally taking on a lot. Um, you know, there's been personal sacrifices with the Wi-Fi. with who's more important sometimes. Is it this meeting or is it, um, you know, a little bit of a study session, um, but it has been very difficult. However, I do know for other households, you know, it's even worse. You know, I have the, the, the complete privilege to work in technology and to work from home and be familiar with how to do that. You know, that was also one of the reasons I stayed in technology was to be able to spend time, more time with my kids to be more flexible with schedule, which you don't find typical in typical and nine to five where technology you got wi-fi you can go anywhere you want um and so it's it's been a it's been a hassle but it's also really nice it's really it's it's grounding to be able to be with um you know my son who, who's in second grade and he's in, you know he's in public school um as well and uh, but i definitely feel for him because you know i know he's he's a social butterfly like he wants to be, <laughs> you know he's like jumping up and down he wants to go play with his friends and stuff and he should be at school right now but you know we're a couple of months away probably from that happening um so i definitely i think if anything i feel for for him and a lot of the other kids who are in the same situation um but i i live in a multi-family household um it takes a village even for one crazy kiddo um we you know we help out and i'm grateful for that to have my family around um, you know, sometimes we're all busy, but, you know, we, we share the load when it comes to cooking, cleaning, you know, taking care of him, playing and, you know, things like that. And very fortunate to be quarantining with my family as opposed to not being able to see them right now. And another 2020 fact about you is that you participated in some of the George Floyd protests here in Los Angeles and actually got arrested. Please tell us that story. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, we definitely got in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, my myself and my sister had uh, attended a couple of protests in uh, downtown LA and around City Hall. Um, and, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to escape you know, a couple of uh, roundups that the LAPD had set up, uh, you know, little traps within the city uh, the days prior, but it, yeah, in early June, and this is like, you know, peak uh, time for a lot of the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests. Um, you know, we, my, my sister, myself, my cousin, my sister's boyfriend, we were all cornered, you know, fortunately got to stick together, right? But we all got cornered together um, and, Although it, it was a really harsh um, ex experience, but it's it's nothing compared to what we're standing up for, right? And it's, um, you know, a lot of instances where, you know, people are brutalized and have their rights stripped. Um, but, you know, we, if anything, we were more than happy to get arrested or detained or whatever it technically is. Um, and very fortunate to have those charges dismissed and be able to, to create change uh, because in the following days, the curfews were lifted um uh, as well as you know the 150 million dollars proposed uh increase for LAPD was uh was declared to be reallocated uh to community funds and investments right so you had twist ties you were hands behind your back put on the bus and taken where I don't even remember the city they took me to uh, we did get split up uh, you know it, and it's probably important to note too, it was a very aggressive and violent um, arrest of the group. I mean, there were, I think at least a hundred of us, hundreds to 150 of us who were arrested off of Broadway. Um, and it, it was such a shame the way, not only were, we were cornered, right? Everything was premeditated, but it, it was hard to see so many people who we are all believing in this greater good. And it's a really diverse group. I mean, you got every, every color, every language, you have a lot of um, community organizers and legal help, um, all being arrested together, all being told to put our hands behind our back, um, having our phones confiscated without our permission, having our bags searched without our permission, um, and things like that. And yeah, I was, um, you know, we were all, all, my entire family was arrested, and uh, I was put on a jail bus. Um, and I, you know, they I don't even know where they sent me. I kind of forgot, sorry, kind of forgot uh, which city it was. I think it was somewhere in the Valley. Um, and they kind of just shipped, shipped us off there, uh, processed us and just, you know, kind of dumped us. And a lot of people who weren't even, uh, excuse me, not a lot of people who weren't even protesting got rounded up too. So, you know, like all, you know, all the people just hanging out in downtown, minding their business, people who were just going to their car, like, you know, it, it had a dramatic effect, um, I think on everybody. We were sent over there. And then the rest of my family, they were actually um, separated and, and booked in downtown. Were you scared? I was not. I I was not. I wasn't scared, I think, for myself personally, especially being like, I think, the, the oldest of the group um, and kind of knowing that that was going to be one of the consequences. I try to keep calm um, in those situations, especially because a lot of the crowd tried to de-escalate because the police were firing at us with the less lethal, like rubber bullets, um, without any of us being aggressive. Like we weren't breaking things. This was not a riot. This is a 100% peaceful protest. Maybe somebody was talking trash, but nobody was threatening. <laughs> nobody was throwing anything. And, you know, we were met with bullets and it, it was, you know, I think if anything, I was I was scared for how my family members were responding, and I was scared for um, everybody else too, right? 
this is not a situation that a lot of people were used to um, by just seeing the crowd. And um, we didn't know how far it was going to go, right? We didn't know if they're going to bring up tear gas. We don't know if, um, you know, they were going to beat us up in those types of things um, because, you know, we were peaceful from the start and we had to use our own de-escalation, not the LAPD. They didn't use any de-escalation tactics. Madeline Cortez Lay running for Los Angeles City Controller in 2022. When is yeah. that um, um, voting day? Yeah, so right now it it's supposed to be in March, originally March 2022. Um, however, there is uh, California legislation that's most likely going to push it to June, uh, which is good because it leaves um, more time to campaign and everything. Um, but definitely look out. You can look on the Los Angeles Ethics Commission election totals page, if you just want to Google that, um, you can see both myself and everybody else who is running in 2022. Um, hopefully you are also considering running all, you know, as well. There's a lot of online resources, um, although it's a little bit difficult to run. You know, I definitely encourage more everyday people uh, to run. And, you know, we are starting to see more of that come on right now. How can we find you? Yeah, um, and so right now you can actually find um, a lot of stuff that's related to my campaign, both on Instagram and Twitter, under the handle Cortez Lay for LA. So that's C O R T E Z for F O R L A. Um, and there, you know, I have a link tree. Um, right now the website is under construction. However, there is a donation page, and I also have links to COVID resources um, at the city, county, and state level um, that that everybody is more than um, welcome to access uh, for financial help at this time. Give us encouraging words for the other person who is considering running one day and just and decides to, to take up this, this challenging task of campaigning. Yeah. Yeah, um, just do it. <laughs> just do it. I, I mean, I spent hours just, you know, going through the internet trying to sign up, trying to do as much as I could just by myself. Um, and of course, you know, I, I, you know, I set aside funds. I think that's another thing too, like this, it is kind of hard to run when you don't have um, financial security. So make sure you save up a little bit of money in case, whether it's you like, you know, lose your job or if the campaign gets extended, um, just to set up a little bit of personal funds for yourself and your family. Um, that way you're protected and not stressed out during the campaign. Um, definitely recommend that. But all I can say is um, just do it. I, I mean, right now, I think everything's on the line. I know a lot of people, you know, have a lot to lose either way. Um, and But for me personally, I think this is just kind of life investment for my community and I'm really excited to run. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me on Conversation Piece to let us know about your campaign trail and your platform. Yeah. Thank you so much, Angela, for having me. I'm so glad that we were able to meet and, you know, get to talking. Well, you are listening to Conversation Piece. I'm your host, Angela Birdsong on RadioJustice.org. Next, learn who and what California Democratic Assembly District Delegates Do For You with Delegate Shannon Ziggy Theus of District 
Let's be very clear, I ain't here to drink beer, smoke weed, shoot the breeze and break bread with you. I'm only here to resurrect the living dead with you. Thought it was some kind of a game, I'm not playing with you. I got the Moorish warlords with Moroccan shark swords, Ethiopians with white face camouflage. Already disciplined and ready for that sabotage. You listen to Minaj? Word? You should kill yourself and everybody that you came with. Arrangements out of jurisdiction, no arraignment. My name gets mentioned through the ethers, through high frequency speakers. Certified 45, get in line. Make this revolution rap your favorite pastime. Make listening to Kuhn tune your very last time. Last time he was CO and now he's gangstified. Pushing keys, catching bodies, man, somebody lied. I'd rather listen to that guy noise, levitate with fly boys, organize an army, bang dead press. Understand I'm not a missionary, just the devil's adversary. Extraordinary, compliment the feds. And most listening are subject to conditioning. They need a hook, something snappy just to pull them in. I truly sympathize. I hope this pretty singing satisfies. Now, should we get back to business then? Shannon Zazargas Theus, welcome to Conversation Piece again. Hi, it's good to be back again. Uh, right, right. And let me let the Conversation Piece family know. I say again because I first met and interviewed her when at the Afrofuturistic Conference or Festival Yeah, uh, in Lamert Park. Yes. And 2019. 2019. Mm-hmm. Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. But we're gonna we're now we're gonna talk about your political career. Cool, you yeah. are currently a delegate for the California Democratic Party, and you also are the recording secretary for the Culver City Democratic Part um, Club. I, I saw I saw your Facebook post and what have you, making sure that people know and to realize this was an election year for the assembly district delegates. And I have no idea what that is. <laughs> and I figure if I didn't know what it was, maybe we need to let conversation piece family know what this whole thing is about. So tell us what does a representative for the Cal- California Democratic Party do? Cool. So the formal thing that they are to do is a representative basically helps the California Democratic Party shape their views and platforms. So as a delegate, I come to the party knowing that the 54th district is definitely an environmentalist district. It has concerns about oil fracking in our own community. Doesn't when we're dealing with California parties, we don't want to see oil in our money. And so when I go to the conventions and I vote for this candidate or endorse that candidate, these are the values that I'm bringing in. So it's a very, it's a beautiful position because it's one that shapes the values. Um, And so it gives voters this opportunity to pick who genuinely represents them on a grassroots, super local level. Um, you know, um, every, every, every vote counts for every election, but the smaller the election, the more powerful the vote. Last time it was two votes that separated me from the person below me. There's, it, it, they, you elect seven women, seven men, or sub, seven self-identified women and seven other than self-identified women. But at that said, you have seven slots and you're going to get knocked off until you're done. And so there was only two votes separating me from the person below me. So every vote really does matter. 
So as I said, what you formally do is you go to these conventions where the party is shaped as a delegate and you put in your region's values into that convention. Now, the elected delegates represent a third of that. The appointed delegates represent two thirds of that. So us elected delegates are, we have, we're, we're running up a hill. We are absolutely outweighed by those who have been appointed. So if you want your values upheld, you need to get absolute activists who are engaged, who are lobbyists, who are going to be in these people's faces, making them accountable because they know that they don't have to be if the delegate doesn't make them be. We make sure. So one of the things we do is we shape parties through our endorsements and votes. But then we're actually supposed to keep at least my district taught me to keep my local electives on their toes. Like we're looking at you and you need our endorsement eventually. And even though we may be outweighed by your appointed ones, what the elected delegates endorse or choose really shows um, what the people are wanting. The other thing that the delegates do actually, and this is, I don't know if every delegate does this. This is for my 54th district, which I've come in as a slate, being trained by people who've done it before me is we're absolutely activated in our community. So we have used the title as delegate to leverage and address concerns within our community. Um, we talked to, I don't wanna call out different officials by their names, but we talked to different officials who were rubbing our constituents the wrong way. I had to, you know, there, there was libraries and, and African-American museums being closed and my people were not okay with that. And so I used it, I used the title as delegate to find out why to be a person for those people. I and mean, they're crying like my representative, my, my supervisor, my assembly member, my, my con even controller, whatever, they're not representing me. Well, I have those people's ears because I'm their delegate. I'm, I'm a delegate. So tell me what you need. And that is how I use a position, both formally, like, well, I'm supposed to use it for the convention, but I absolutely use it to help leverage issues that's going on in our community. Right now, my fellow slate mate, he's running for the first time and running for re-election, but we went to the 54th elementary school area and found out about the tension between the school and Wayfair and had no idea there was anything happening there because I, I, I always understood it as a center of the junior blind. So I've actually let myself be disconnected from what was happening there, but having a detention center in the middle of a residential area without any type of communication to the community, no one there to kind of regulate the people from the detention center. The community is not protected from the police or anything formal. So they've kind of, and so as a delegate, I'm like, well, I'll I will write resolutions. I will make sure that someone knows that this isn't going, well, nobody cares. Well, I care. This isn't my district. Do what I can as a delegate, you know. Oh, you guys do a lot of work. My slate, yes. And you cannot get on my particular Ford 54 slate unless you're doing a lot of work. It, this slate that I'm on, we were vetted by ourselves, <laughs> you know, we are like a bouquet of, and there are people who were on this slate before 
that aren't on now because they progressed. They went to different seats. They elevated Isaac Bryan. He was such an amazing person for Measure J. He has a great position now. But there's people who aren't on this slate because they were too conservative and they weren't for stuff like maybe rent control. And that's like a big no-no for my slate. And so we are actually true to our word. So we really do hope to get people, you do want to hope, I don't want to like idealize us, but you want to have delegates like us in office who are going to work on your behalf. So it's not just a convention position. And though, and, but although it is, it's absolutely a title in your community. And these delegates should be working with local officials on your behalf. How many districts are in California? And we're looking at 14 delegates for each district. Um, I believe you said it was 80. I actually don't know the numbers. I'm not that candidate. I'm the candidate who would be like galvanizing the masses, but the the like the numbers, oh, da, da, da. but that's what's wonderful about having a slate mate. Like having 14 slate mates, we all so like we all vet that part of each other. But to go to your question, um, I believe you, there's about 80. Mm -hmm. There's 14 in each district. And so the, the conventions are massive, you know, just with that. But also all Democrats are welcome to come to the convention. So they're particularly massive. Um, it's going to be interesting this year with it being on Zoom because it's really going to separate the delegates from the non-delegates, I believe. I don't know. We'll see. When but, is the convention normally? Um, you said what is or when is? When is? Um, last time it was June and November. Okay. And okay. so there were two very different conventions. The June convention was the San Franciscan party. <laughs> it was so <laughs> it was so early in the in the um, the I'm sorry, in my mind, the Democratic pr um, primaries. Ah, it was so early in the Democratic primaries so that you had all these candidates you were kind of rooting for and they all had to express themselves. And, you know, so Vito was there and Bernie was there and Warren was there and, and Kamala was owning it because it's her district for Senate. Kamala was owning it because it was her district. We were in San Francisco. And... I mean, Biden was not there, <laughs> nor was he really represented, but all the other candidates were. Um, like it's, and there is, there's been so many, so many months have passed that I can't even recall all to name, but by the time November occurred, they've been whittled down quite significantly. So it was kind of a different ball game a little bit. Um, I'll also say that the San Francisco convention, we had to vote on who the party, the head of the party was. And it was, the candidates was Rusty Hicks, who is very strong in labor law and Kimberly Ellis, who um, very much a progressive environmentalist, um, you know, happened to be a black woman as well. Um, and so she won the elected delegates vote by a, land, by, by a landslide. She lost the election because of the appointed delegate votes. So that kind of gives you an idea of what the party is actually like. When is, when is the convention this year for 2021? I'm actually not completely sure right now. That's an excellent question. We keep getting updates on these dates because of the pandemic. Um, 
it's hard to get things locked down because everyone wants to wait and see what's going to happen. But I can definitely let you know. <laughs> As yes, please, please do, please do. So we're so we're looking at one thousand one hundred and twenty elected assembly district delegates for the state of California. And I have, I, I, okay, so obviously I'm letting people know how not savvy I am politically. Most <laughs> people don't. I have never heard of this. Never, Most I have never don't. heard of this. A lot of my slate mates, they didn't know until they were asked to run. Um, it's a lot of people either don't take the seat seriously enough to have gotten your attention. You know, you're in the, you know, our, um, people just don't know about it. Maybe I know about it more because I'm very much involved in the grassroots scene, but even the grassroots scene, I didn't know. So don't feel bad. It's just, it's obscure, but the time to know about it has come because it's a wonderful platform for activists to voice their platform and to actually get, I'm a progressive. So pardon me, pardon me if I'm evangelical, <laughs> but I totally believe in change. I believe in um, healthcare for all. I believe that the environment needs to be protected. I believe that the police needs to be defunded. So I'm always going to kind of toot those horns. <laughs> um, but and the best way to make sure your party represents you is by electing your delegates because you don't get to be really a part of the appointed process. And, and explain that election process. Like from what I understand is if you are a Democrat and you and you want to participate in, in electing an assembly district delegate for your district that you live in, which is based on your zip code, that you have to request that ballot. That was just for this election. I don't know if that'll be the new precedent, but they do make it very hard to vote. And from what I understand, an obstacle towards voting makes sure that there's real voters involved as opposed to money involved. So last time before the pandemic, the, the voting was one day out of one location. And that has its controversy because if, if a district like 54th, they don't necessarily put the voting day in the hood. <laughs> you know, and so where the location is does a good job of helping people come and go, you know, so maybe this digital system might help leverage that inequality there. So you pick one day and then you only have a certain amount of hours to get people there. There's no, oh, this person has to work. Oh, none of that. You have like from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and that's it. And so you're packing people in and because of the nature of the vote, you get to vote for 14 people. That day is like this fanfare. Um, it's like the club day because say, you know me, hey, vote for Ziggy. And now you got 13 other people you can vote for. You don't have to leave that blank. And now those 28 people are gonna say, vote for me, let me be one of those 13. So you're like on platforms. I had balloons tied to me. And my sister's like dog involved. <laughs> like, but like you're trying to get people's attention, you know, for you. Now it's you have to request a ballot before this the date was January eleventh. Um, and it was up to your delegate to tell you when to request it. My my slate kind of wanted to wait through the Christmas time, you know, through the holidays. 
Um, and so you only had so many days to get people to request it for you and then to register, but you only have so many days, like we only found out who were delegates, you know, by the end of December, we didn't have a huge breadth of time ourselves. Um, and so, like I said, they kind of put obstacles around it. And then you, now you have to request a ballot. If you haven't requested your ballot, it's too late, but the ballots are coming out and now you have 14 people. What's funny is now the, well, if you have 13 other people to vote for, that fanfare is now online. You have to kind of leverage that digitally, which is interesting. How, so on that note, how has campaigning been going um, for you? For, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and also, right, congratulations on winning, winning your um, being reelected as a recording secretary for the Culver City Democratic Club. So you had two elections you yeah. were working on in these few months, right? Yeah, luckily for me, the Culver City Democratic Club is my family. That's my fam bam. Like they really took me in and my crazy and they, they accept me as I am. So I shouldn't be confident with them, but they know that I'm there. <laughs> so, um, so that it is interesting though, because I, I, that is what brought me into politics was actually becoming the recording secretary. I was kind of raging on the streets at Trump, like did not know what to do back in 2016. And the club asked me to join and they listened to me. They said, be, join our executive board and they turned me into an activist. So that's like my baby. <laughs> um, and so it was actually members of that club that educated me on what is a delegate. And for me, like, although I, I live in Culver City, I was raised in, in South LA, we used to call it South Central, but now it's South LA, um, the Mart Park area. <laughs> so, and now I'm in Culver City. I used to live in Venice. I used to live in West LA. I've actually been living in all these different parts of the 54th district, which kind of shows you uh, why did that happen? <laughs> you know, um, obviously housing wasn't necessarily a consistent story. So I know the nature of housing in LA and, and, and different things. So it's just um, a lot of uh, Los Angeles and California brings in people who aren't from here and anyone can run particularly, but when you have someone who's actually from here and know the different nature of the districts, um, I don't know, I just feel like it lets us be better to, to represent the values. And speaking of, of housing, we're going into year two of this pandemic. We have the eviction moratoriums within the state and within Los Angeles County and within some of the different cities also. And the federal government has just recently um, put out some more rent relief programs, monies to be funded through, through, the, through the state. You as a delegate, what can you, what do you guys do for, for to help people to stay in their homes safely? So I can say happily that my slate mate, Freddie Pizza started uh, Protect Culver, I don't know the exact name, Protect Culver City Rent Control and that his group that he started and my fellow slate mate, Leah Pressman was on and Cynthia Hart, they rallied to make sure Culver City was protected. So that's again what I mean by, it's not the delegate's role, it's the activists who did that. You make them become your delegate. You know what I mean? So um, what I've done as a delegate is people ask me, am I protected? I ask them their zip code and I say, yes. You know, there was a person who 
didn't know she was in Culver City, whose landlord told her, LA has this different da-da-da. And I looked at her stuff and said, no, you know, your landlord's lying to you. The, this is the law. This is what you, so the delegate can be absolutely represent you, the laws for you. Um, you they should also absolutely be accessible for you. There's 14 of them, you know, and they're in your district. So you should be able to talk to them. You know, it may be hard to get to the senator, but your delegate, you know, you should be able to get to them, you know. Um, it was the principal of, of 54th Elementary who told me about the problem at Wayfair, you know, like an actual citizen. Um, but as far as rent control and housing, um, when we do go to the convention, so that's that's locally, like we've been locally protecting housing. I've been locally making sure as an activist already. When we go to the convention, we can absolutely make sure that the party pushes forth even more aggressive things than just evictions moratorium. The whole state of California is super vulnerable to homelessness. I mean, like I can't even go into that because I'll start getting emotional. But so I'll just keep it political and just like, just talk about legislation because we are all, every single person listening to this is vulnerable to homelessness. It just takes one thing and it comes out of nowhere for my family. It was a 94 earthquake. And that's a whole story in of itself. Um, and so we need to protect our state. We need to protect our citizens, not these corporations. The reason why I say that is because when you have these appointed delegates, they'll tend to be more corporative, more corporation leaning. And the reason why that's a problem is right now, and like, you know, rein me in, but right now the Republican Party is falling apart. Even Colin Powell said, oh, I'm not a Republican anymore. So if these people... And by these people, I mean Republicans. <laughs> if, if these people are going to come into our Democratic Party, they're not going to be progressive. They're going to force themselves, force the party to be as conservative as possible. So you really need the de you need to vote in delegates who are going to really make sure change occurs, be especially now, especially as right now, because the parties are going to be completely redefined. We're re because of Trump and that fiasco of these four years, everything's redefined. So right now really is the time to be involved with your delegates, even get involved with all types of politics because we are setting the stage now that's gonna be the, pro the project of the next 30 years. I say that the collapse that we've, we've had is actually the result of trickle-down economics. It took this long for it to buck up, sorry. It took this long for it to go wrong. <laughs> you know? it's and like that type of it just took this long for it all right this so right now we need to say what's going to go right how do we find our delegates how do we reach you guys so there's and i know the website says it but i have to say that for me personally go on social media because that actually you'll find things with adam 54 adam da 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 you can find delegates that way you can find them on their websites if you're not already involved, but the best way really is to ask a person who you know is active. So if you ask me, hey, Ziggy, who should I vote for? I would tell you, hey, these are the progressives more so than maybe a website can, you know? So the best way really is word of mouth. And that's almost why I said social media first, because social media has a tend to be word of mouthy, you know? It has that, see what people are saying about the delegate, not what they're saying about themselves. 
Um, and so, like, for example, people who went to vote for me but weren't in my district have asked me, well, I, I requested a ballot for you. I don't have you. Tell me who to vote for. And I'm like, well, I can definitely give you a list of endorsed candidates. And I will definitely make that my responsibility because you did request a ballot on my behalf. Post-election and, and let's say all, all the, del- the, the final results are in, you, you are now starting your new um, responsibilities for your district. We would go to ADEM, just go to ADEM 54 to find, to find our, our, well, one of our 14. Uh, you go to Aiden 54 for mine, for my particular 54th district, but you would go to KDEM, C-A-D-E-M, which is California Democrats. I believe it's an org. I don't think it's a com, but California Democrats, because that's what you're voting for. And this is, I, a lot of people don't want to be Democrats. I wasn't a Democrat until I started working for the Culver City Democratic Club. I was an independent. And the thing is, is that, we don't take charge of our party. And that's what the Republicans do better than us. We don't make this be our cause. And that's why they get power over us. So when we say, and you it's, you have to do it on a local level, the president is so far da-da-da-da-da. You know, way before he came up, we were voting for him at the convention. Like you can have a say in that. It doesn't, you can you can really determine the the so much more by being involved on stuff like delegates, municipal things. If I can say anything or express anything, like if you want power, find out what your local elections are. That's where a lot that that trickle down economics is is powerful. We spoke to um, Kevin Harris. I was there. I was at the Black Caucus, girl. I was at the Black Caucus, and that one. I don't want to put our business in the street, but it was. Then don't. So, <laughs> so you were at the Black Caucus in 2019. And the, the, the surrogate for Kamala Harris was Holly Mitchell, who's now our LA supervisor. So that just tells you our line of power right there. I'm talking to Holly Mitchell because she knows me and we're like talking about the caucus and what we're experiencing. She knows I'm an involved activist. Before I was a delegate, she knew me. And she'll know me after I'm a delegate because I'm involved. I even, you know, um, I've even volunteered for her, but this was after, uh, I mean, before. Anyway, I'm there at the co- the African-American caucus. Danny Glover is there <laughs> uh, Bernie, because Bernie Sanders is there. But right now we have the surrogate for Kamala Harris talking to your delegate, you know, and Kamala Harris is now the first vice president of, of the first female black vice president of the United States. So these things matter. You, you have a voice right there and you never know when the voice comes. That's why you want all the 14 to be there representing you. Right. People give it because I'm, 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 I'm no party preference. So I'm, I'm not I'm not a, a Democrat or, or a Republican. However, those who are listening who are Democrats are decide to become Democrats this is something they most definitely need to be involved in to find out what district they're in and, and who, and who their party delegates are. Because like you said, it's easier to get to your delegate to talk about whatever the concerns are in your community than it is to go to your Senator or maybe even to your assembly person, or maybe even to your council person. Or your supervisor. So we were there, there was things that came up with our, our constituents 
did not like some of the things that our supervisor was doing. We had a we cornered the the supervisor as delegates and said, hey, that's why you want activated delegates. But exactly. So I would say that if you want to be no party, that's totally cool to each their own. I was independent. I get it. But now is a time to commit because now is a time to shape. Before we didn't have a lot going on, but now it's such a mayhem chaos that those who align first will have power. Power is whoever gets organized first, you know, and then and, and, and keep it, you know. And so right now, if you do believe that you want a strong democracy, you want to see stuff like universal health care, you want it now is the time to become activated because your voice absolutely matters right now. It's uh, like the surface areas, it's, 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 ex- it's just expanded. Um, it's exciting. It's actually really exciting. Some people think it's scary, but it's like, it's, you don't have to protest because it's already falling down. You know, now you can start building. So much information, so little time. Ziggy, thank you so much for, for being on Conversation Peace with me today. And if you guys want more information about being a delegate, what they do, what district you're in, go to cadem.org, cadem.org. Love it. (laughs) Thank you to Madeline Cortez Lay and Delegate Shannon Ziggy Theus. Check out cadem.org for info about Assembly District Delegates and visit ethics.lacity.org to find out who's running for office in Los Angeles. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of M. So for the opening and closing theme song and always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on radiojustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.